Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the podcast that celebrates life and lipstick and was recently dubbed new and noteworthy by Apple. Yay! I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and each episode I sit down with a guest to ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them, the ones that they take to a desert island, or in this case, beauty island, that I am sending them off to. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is Nigel Stanislaus. Nigel is a makeup artist extraordinaire. He was the makeup director for Maybelline New York, Australia for over a decade, traveling the world, leading the makeup at local and international fashion weeks, and working with celebrity clients including Gigi and Bella Hadid, Cindy Crawford, Kendall Jenner, Ruby Rose, Olivia Newton-John, Sir Bob Geldof, and even Michael Bublé. But in his early days, he was told he'd never make it as a makeup artist, and he's certainly proved otherwise. We talked about growing up in Singapore, how he almost became a sniper, yes, really, how he got his break to become Mr. Maybelline, all about the jet-setting life and whether it's really as glamorous as it seems, why he thinks we're in the golden age of makeup, his thoughts on all those ridiculous beauty trends and Instagram makeup, dealing with trolls and a whole lot more. Nigel is so candid and funny and just an all-round beautiful human being. And yes, he is my first male guest on Beauty Island. A quick note on this episode, Nigel and I live quite far apart, so we decided to meet in the middle at a cafe in Collingwood called South of Johnston. When we started, things were quiet, but as we were talking, the lunch rush started to come in, so there is a bit of background noise or ambience, shall we say, for the first half of the episode. When it got too noisy, we moved from the cafe to Nigel's car to finish the conversation. Yes, that is the glamour of podcasts. So I do apologise for the background noise that you might hear for the first bit. But I really hope you push through because the conversation is and Nigel is so interesting. Just lean in and imagine you're sat at the cafe table with us, enjoying a coffee and maybe a sweet treat if you're so inclined. I really hope you enjoy. Nigel, I'm so excited to have you on Beauty Island. We've met a couple of times. You've had me backstage at some of the shows that you've worked on, but we're sat here south of Johnston in Collingwood. A bit more relaxed this time. There's not the chaos of a show going on around us, which is nice. But we're still beautiful, though. I mean, look at us dressed. I wish you could see what we look like today. <laughs> now, Nigel, what was your first beauty memory? My first beauty memory um, was probably five years old, and... Um, you know, well, my parents went to work in Singapore, and, and they both worked at, this, at that time. I, I stayed with Grandma, and Grandma was amazing. I mean, she, her name was, you know, her name was Lucy. I mean, may she was in peace. But I've always seen her get ready, and I could always smell this witch hazel kind of um, product. And I was always on bed, you know, reading comics or something like that. And I'll just turn to my right, and she'll be applying this vanishing cream called Hazeline Snow, which is pretty much 50% rich hazel. And it's called, it's also called a vanishing cream because when you put it on, it sort of disappears because of the bicarb soda or something. It makes it, the alcohol evaporates. So when you put it on, it has a cooling effect. Oh, wow. So it's actually designed to moisturize your face in the coldest winter. But because it has this cooling effect, it was really popular in tropical countries like Singapore because when you put it on, you just stop sweating. And, and she'll put that on and then she'll put a, a round of hairspray. So, you know, we were in a cloud of hairspray, like a Elnet or something. And she'll use like, a, like an Estee Lauder lipstick and she'll put it on and then she was ready to go. And I remember that one time I was sitting on a dresser and I might have been like maybe three years old. And every time when she did that and she go, mmm, with her mouth, I would do it as well. And she, she looked at me, she goes like, oh, you're catching on. So she actually swiped the lipstick on my mouth and she goes, do this, mmm. And that was my first ever makeup. Like I could remember it was like an orange crimson kind of lipstick. She sounds like a very glamorous woman. I'm curious about, so obviously you grew up in Singapore. What was that like? As a child in Singapore in the 80s, it was quite different from what it's like uh, growing up now because, you know, there's a system, there's a template uh, in Singapore it's a very blanket rule for everything so you know the being a young nation they wanted to craft everyone to be you know you're either a doctor or engineer or a scientist or whatever but a creative or an artist was never in it anyway so I never knew who I was I felt left behind and I was just always sitting by the side watching other people live their life I was just happy sitting 
by the wayside sketching and that was my best friend and then when we grew up we had to go to the army and we had to go through this um, strict training physical training and I'm telling you it was awful I mean the anxiety in my mind you know for a teenager at that time was just like what's gonna happen to me and and I remember two days before actually enrolling and listening into the army and becoming a number nobody cares what you like, what your name is, how you feel, you're just a number. So I had 48 hours and I decided to take control of my destiny and I shaved off all my hair at the, the, the barber. <laughs> I mean, I went to the barber and said, I want it all off, number one. And he said, oh, you could go in and they'll do it for free. I said, no, I want it now. This is the only thing I can take control for the next two and a half years. <laughs> so I got in, to the best of it, it was quite boring because I had not, I, I, I don't, really like violence, I don't like screaming, uh, you know, I grew up with my mom and my grandma and very women-oriented, you know, everything was around the Chinese dinner table making dumplings or talking about things. I don't know how to threaten anyone or take a bayonet and stab my enemy in the neck or something, like, it's, it's really, it's, it's something that I, I have problems uh, relating to. But what was really fun was the, the events or, or the, the you know the classes that I didn't have to move was like shooting, so so when I you know when we went to like the range, I just had to stand there and just shoot, and people were just laughing at me because I was just failing at everything from marching to anything. I was just the worst, and people just looked at me with this pity, like, "All right, Nigel, just come to the left. All right, you know, like don't worry about it." But when it came to you know my M16. It was a different game, and um, I was short of two rounds before I could actually become a sniper. I just, I mean, that is incredible. Just like comparing to where you actually ended up as this internationally renowned makeup artist, to think you almost became a sniper is crazy. <laughs> well, I didn't become a sniper because it's two rounds, and the only two rounds that I missed was the running for 100 meters, and by the time I got there, I was so puffed out that I couldn't hold my gun still to, to aim at the um, target, which was three meters in front of me. A hundred meter range, no problem, but three meters, because I was so unfit that I was like, you know, so I missed out on that. I didn't become a sniper, but you know. It's, it's worked out okay, yeah. So you did end up studying fashion design in Singapore, Singapore. and then graphic design in Melbourne. Correct. What did you think you were gonna end up after you finished studying those things? Well, not a makeup artist. I wasn't good at anything. You know, before I went to, to design school, I wasn't good at anything at all. And so when I graduated from high school, I thought, well, we'll just go line up in this institution and just go study this. And I got in and for once, you know, the, the teacher's like, oh, you can do this really well or you can't do this really well. And the illustration was my favorite class. And I found that I was really good at it. On my first uh, summer break, I met this guy called Bruce Talent Productions and I've actually lost contact with him and I'm not even sure if he's around. I mean, this was like 20 years ago when he was older back then. And I started doing fashion shows and, you know, for $30 a day or even for free. And when I, you know, go there, I met all the models and that was my first time in my whole life for a 17-year-old kid to be amongst models. You know, I met people, you know, at that time, the opening of Planet Hollywood, Cindy Crawford, you know, I met her, I worked with her, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, you know, all the 90s, and, and it was amazing, you know, I, I met people like Oscar de la Renta and Ralph Lauren, and they, when they all came to Singapore and all that, so I was instantly addicted. I did the, the fashion design first, and then in between I had to stop my whole life and do the conscription for the army, and then I had to go back to school, and I decided that I wanted to be a fashion illustrator, and I chose FIT in New York, but that year was the year of 9-11. And I wanted to get into full intake, and there was no way my parents would say, yeah, why not go to America? Go to, like, you know, and they were like, we're sending you to, like, the opposite end of the earth. And I was, I was really quite confused, and I was like, why was I being punished for, you know, something that's happened or something? And I didn't really understand. I understood, but I was also quite angry about it. But by that change of trajectory, it changed my whole life. So I ended up in Sydney, and I looked at some of the, the universities there, but I didn't really feel it. So I had $500 left. I came to Melbourne for the first time in my life by myself, and I went to Monash, and I looked around, and I really liked the teacher then. His name is Gene Borden, and he took me around and said, in three years, this is what you can do. So there and then I thought, okay, yeah, all right, this is what I want to do. By then, I was 21. 
I just flew through it. I graduated six high distinctions in my finals. I was the top three in my faculty. You know, I had a, a scholarship. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, for once in my life, I wasn't invisible. I wasn't standing at the back anymore. I was in front. So I tried to apply for a job as a makeup artist because that was one of the things that I did. And I went to Maya and International Brand has just moved into Maya and they were all wearing black and it was sexy and all that kind of thing. And I went out to apply for a job. And the manager had said to me, you don't look like you could sell lipsticks. And at that time, I had a portfolio from Singapore. I've worked with people in Singapore. I've had covers from Elle. I was featured in Elle. I had main stories, you know, from the main magazines in Singapore. And I had an actual solid portfolio. And I brought it to her and I said, this is what I've done. I don't look like much. And I probably dress in polyester or something, but you know, I'm really good. And she wouldn't open my portfolio. And she said to me, she goes, look at my girls, look at them. You know, you wouldn't be able to, I don't think you fit in here. I don't think you're right for a customer group and things like that. So basically I looked at myself, which was an Asian chubby boy. So obviously I said, thank you. And, you know, try not to show any emotions. I said, thank you for your time. And I left and on the tram back to South Korea, where I live, I literally bawled my eyes out. And um, I decided there and then that this was a cruel world and I didn't want to be a makeup artist anymore. How I did didn't. you bounce back from that? I was about to throw my whole kid away. I, I was embarrassed for myself that I wasn't beautiful enough for the beauty industry. And that was, you know, a 22 year old talking. So on my holidays, I was doing a photo shoot for like the Singapore Women's Weekly or something. And I only did it because I had so much fun and my friend was a stylist. And I was doing makeup for this model called Rachel. She was like a Eurasian model. And she says, I really love your makeup. You have to meet my friend who owns an agency at the time. So I contacted him, I got into the agency. And then it just grew from there. You know, they gave me work and I, and I started to work in Melbourne a lot. It sort of changed my whole perspective on makeup. And the proudest moment was years on when IMATS came to Australia. And and I was... So IMATS is a big beauty expo kind of thing. Like an expo it? thing. And it was the first ever IMATS ever. And I went in and speak and a crowd of 300 people turned up. And I thought it was amazing. And amongst that lineup was Ray Morris, who was after me. And, and I thought, you know, I had 300 and mine was amazing. But she was huge at that time, you know. I did my show and I said, any questions? Thank you so much for coming. And this lady stood up and she goes, hi, you know, my name is such and such. And you have met me, blah, 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 blah. And I'm so happy for you right now and then there and then I realized it was that girl that lady who said that I couldn't sell lipsticks obviously I was shocked and I was that, that younger me said I wanted to run away but I didn't so I stood there and I said so nice to see you but she also said that she talent scouted me and I was like well thank you so much <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, always be gracious. So I was pinching myself, but I thought, yeah, you know, for those bitches that said no, don't worry about it. You know, the universe takes its time to develop things and, and I'm in the right place at the right time for her to see it. And it was a very good closure for me because until then, I thought that I was that chubby little kid who, who couldn't sell a lipstick. And I and my... You showed her, you showed everybody. So obviously, I'm sending you off to Beauty Island. So I want to know more about the products that you're taking with. The second product on your list is is the product that you, as you mentioned before, growing up watching your grandma apply her makeup, one that you, you saw, another one that you saw her apply, which I think has a funny connection to where you ended up. So is it Great Lash or Dial a Lash? Can you tell me about that? So grandma never used mascara, but you know, I grew up around women with my mom. My, my dad was always on business, a very typical Chinese, Singaporean Chinese family. You know, dad was out earning money and mom was, you know, the queen of the home realm and all that. So I spent a lot of afternoons with aunties who had careers. And one of my auntie, Bridget, in my mind, she was so glamorous. You know, she still is very glamorous. And I remember going to a toilet one day and she was getting ready for work and she was applying her makeup. And she, she had two mascaras and one of them was the pink bottle which was great lash but the formula was blue mascara and i was like oh my god this is like a blue eyelash this is like crazy so some days she'll be applying it and every time she would get ready for work i would just stand there and like use this one no use that one and she goes no no it doesn't matter but i was like bossing her on what to do and and she had this other mascara which i think probably was a cover girl one but it was amazing because it, it was like a pear shape and it had a dull on the bottom. So it's called Dollar Lash. And basically you could dull one for a day look, which is less product into the brush, or 10 for a night look, which is a lot of product for the brush. So that was like one of the most amazing, it was like dressing up Barbie because you could decide in one product whether you want level one 
eyelashes or level 10 eyelashes, you know. And I had another auntie Susan on my dad's side and she was the second batch of Singapore Airlines girls. And that time it was very glamorous to, to be in cabin crew. And the way she had you know, all her makeup and her eyeshadows and all that, like it amazed me in how she would look so different at Sunday in church and then Monday night at home. And then I got really obsessed when I discovered in 1988 that the Miss Universe pageant was coming to Singapore. And I recorded it and I watched it religiously for the next five years <laughs> and how they dressed up and how they looked so different from like the swimwear round to the to the evening wear round. I was like, oh my god, it's the same person. It's like, I love that whole transformation thing. And I think that's where I felt that there was a bit of power in people, in, 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 in craft, you know, like women could change themselves just like that. And that amazed me and it still does. And you know, I'm really grateful to be a part of that movement now, to, you know, one of those wizards that could actually create transformation, I guess. I love that makeup wizard instead of makeup artist. <laughs> now, before we move on to your career, more about your career, I just want to touch on, you've spoken about being a teenager, and I think that's a perfect time to talk about the products that defined your teens and 20s that you've got on your list are two products, Galan Meteorites and the Body Shop Oatmeal Scrub. Tell us a bit about those. So the first ever thing that I invested in myself, I think I must have been like 13 years old. At that time, I had this outrageous burst of chicken pox, and you know, being in, in puberty at that time, everything was just like magnified by a hundred and I had all these spots on my head. And I think that's probably the first time in my life that I knew that I was vain because I had this scar and I still do have it here at 40 years old, right here. And this big pot mark on the middle of my head and you know, as a, as a kid I had this like porcelain skin and that crater, you know, in my forehead really bothered me. And, and one day I went to one of my auntie's house and Auntie Angie, it's, it's all womanhood in my, in my growing up. So in my mind, she was so beautiful. She is really quite gorgeous, really. And she said, you need to scrub your face. So you go to Body Shop and Body Shop to me was so expensive at the time and buy an oatmeal scrub because it's kind and gentle so I scrubbed my face and then and then meteorites was on the way home in a school bus and one of my classmates oldest sister took it out of her bag you know in the school bus and she was shaking it and it made this rattling noise and I was like that's the most gorgeous box I've ever seen can I have a look at it and she was like it's meteorites and you know you swirl it in the brush and it just gives you radiance to your face and I go Radiance. I love radiance. I didn't even know what it meant, but I just loved it. I thought radiance was the pearls, the, the, the little balls in the thing. And she goes, and then you could take the little colors and you said eyeshadow. I was like, eyeshadow. I tell you, I was. I thought I was like 11 years old at that time or something like eyeshadow. No, 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 I was probably 14. And then when I had money, I think I bought that. And I swirled it on my face for, <laughs> for radiance. And I went to Sunday church Catholic school and I walked out and my mother goes, now what's on your face and I was like it's radiance mother <laughs> radiance and I would never use it on any other day I would only use it on, on Sunday because it was expensive so I wanted to be radiant on Sunday when I went to church now you spent a large proportion of your career with Maybelline as the makeup director for Maybelline New York Australia how did that come about and what did that job actually entail I'm telling you it's manifestation it's so important and I'm only you know endorsing this at years on because at that time I didn't know I was doing it but I had an idea of what I wanted to do and I have an idea of where I want it to be. And I'm telling you now, after 20 years of being in this industry, that on paper I've ticked every single box, other than one or two, but that's not important. It's not a, you know, a completion of a game kind of thing. But my first agent sat me down at that time and Edwina was talking to me and she said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be something like Ray. I want to be the face of a brand, of an international brand. You know, I wanted to be on a TV show and I wanted to, you know, people to ask me, what should I use or what lipstick? And I can boss them around and say, don't use that use this and you know I want to be like the expert in this field and when I say it sticks you know that kind of thing I want to give interviews I want to you know I want to be the first to know what is being released and then I want to tell that news to beauty editors every, everywhere so that I am in the know and I wanted to go to like parties and all that but that was secondary two weeks later I kid you not this lady from L'Oreal who also owns Maybelline Georgia she calls me up and she, she tells me that hi you know we look to interview for you know a Mr. Maybelline kind of job and I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought, I seriously thought it was my friends because at that time, you know, living in Surrey Hills in Sydney, you know, that's all I talked about. How am I going to get there? You know, which other brands? There were no brands at the time that, that would do that. And, and she called up and I thought, it's one of my friends. And I was like, yeah, 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 you just do that. Like, I was just being really smart about it. But George and I ended up really close friends. We fight like cats and dogs sometimes, but we cuddle and huddle because of success. And <laughs> I said, why don't you just email me? And she goes, I will. And she emailed me. And I looked at the email and I was like, what 
did you do? I thought at that time, like, this is the end of my, of the Nigel essence. Like, I've just single-handedly, like, put out my own fire. And I wrote back and I said, I am so sorry. And she goes, no, no, that's fine. But are you interested to even find out what this job's about? So I went in and did, you know, many rounds of interview and, and I got it. And it shaped my career. It was a trampoline for many things in my life as a makeup artist. And before you know it, 10 years went by and I've done everything that I declared to the universe that I wanted to do. You know, whether it was, you know, being a judge on Australia's next top model or being a judge on Asia's next top model, which then piped out into 10 different countries in Asia or something like that. And it was huge. And, you know, it's still a pinch myself moment. And then before you know it, you know, I would be fashion week and I'll be doing shows. And one of the first shows I did was like Betsy Johnson. And, and another one was Lamb and Gwen Stefani walked by and I was like I cannot compute what's happening to my life you know at that time and it was you know every time I think about it I'm so lucky <laughs> and I giggle because like I don't know how I got here but I got in so that's amazing I ended up being the, the makeup director for the key makeup artists for Maybelline. And I think together we did more than 150 shows. And that's not including all the other shows that I've done overseas and for other brands and all that kind of thing. So just on that alone, I'm so lucky. And, and then before I know it, not only do I get to dictate what the look is gonna be like, beauty editors were actually lining up to ask me my opinion. Can you believe it? I've been in that queue. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in that queue. And then now that I think back, I'm really so grateful for having the experience. And I was invited to the parties. I, you know, I had a, a, a lucrative career, paid very well. I, I traveled the world. My 30s was amazing. I had money. And, you know, like if I want to go on a vacation somewhere, like I'll just go. And I spent a lot of time with my mom. I, I, I'm able to travel to her and all that. So it was very good. You know, if Maybelline calls you up and knocks you on the door and wants you to be <laughs> a makeup director, I would say yes. <laughs> you know, don't be afraid. Like, I didn't know how to be that position. I just said yes. So completely learning on the job. Oh, it, it was the In best year. Aspect, oh, it was the best years of my life. I mean, I think I paid for it. And then you get people asking you, what would you like to drink? And I always said soy latte because it was so coffee du jour, you know. <laughs> Everybody was drinking soy. So as you mentioned, your work has been in the covers of fashion magazines, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, L'Officiel, Australia's Next Top Model you've been on, Asia's Next Top Model, and then obviously working with a plethora of celebrities. Do you get starstruck around celebrities? I mean, obviously part of your job is you have to kind of remain cool. I remember the mentor of mine said that if you want to come onto the set with me, you have to be professional, which means no selfies, no asking personal questions. If you want to take photos and all that, you stand on the other side of the class. You are on this side. It's a privileged position. So I go in thinking in my mind that I'm Carson the butler. <laughs> I don't ask any questions. I'm here to serve. If you like a cup of tea, I'll get you a cup of tea. So no, I don't get starstruck, but I'm always curious. Oh, you know, how they have the tea, what they eat for lunch. And I mean, I will never kiss and tell, you know. And sometimes it's just, it, it just confirms to me every time that, you know, it, it's hard to be a celebrity. Uh, you don't have your privacy. You know, it's hard to, to be a woman and a celebrity. Like, I work with Mel B, who's Scary Spice, and she was in Australia. She was expecting a third child. And although she looked amazing and, you know, vibrant on screen, like, I see how she needs to get ready because of her body is changing and she's you know carrying a child so i empathize with them not because they're you know pathetic but because they're human and then they have to be perfect you know now the next product on your list is the one that gives you a confidence boost which is a great product from benefit Brow. You know, I'm a makeup artist. I have more makeup than a landfill, really. And I'm not exaggerating. And I'm very lucky to be in that position. But amongst all that product, I used to use another product. And when I get ready for camera work and things like that, I would, you know, draw my eyebrows. And one day I've lost my eyebrow pencil at that time and I was working for benefit and I thought we'll just look into the big trunk that they sent me and I took out the most crazy looking thing which was look it looks like a like a circus tent and uh, I picked it up and said well if the normal can, can do this I can do this and when I applied it on it was the fastest product I've ever used and it stayed on because it was waterproof you, you know none of my eyebrow pencils uh, did that and I looked amazing and nobody knew that I got eyebrow products on and every time I put it on I looked younger and it made my face look skinnier. <laughs> and I look really good in selfies. <laughs> so, so now I've got it in my car, in my pouch, in my bathroom, in my makeup kit. You know, I've got one everywhere. Now, one thing you said, which I found really interesting, is you described what we're currently in as the golden, you think it's the golden age of the beauty industry. I'm really curious as to why. Okay, so 
when I first started makeup, we were transitioning into a detox of makeup. So people will not buy lipsticks anymore, they buy lip gloss. And then, you know, the juicy tubes would come in and they come in all sorts of rainbow colors, but there were no color. 10 years ago, people would be not caught dead wearing eyelashes. You know, even if they got married on their best, you know, the, the, the day they're meant to be looking their best, they were like, oh, a few single lashes on the outside. It was like bunny whiskers. I mean, what's going on? You know, they wouldn't draw their eyebrows. You know, everything was really quite monochromatic and matte and all that. And then suddenly, it burst and the single girl on the street, even like yourself, what have you got in your face? You know, eyeshadow, lipstick, lipstick, not lip gloss, lipstick, blush, eyebrow stuff, you know, you got base and all that. You know, all these products come in. And and I reckon that you you know, a regular girl but in the know. But I'm looking at girls like at the supermarket and all that kind of thing, and I'm looking at girls that are shopping in Westfield and all that and they have a lot more makeup on. Whether it's, you know, overdoing it or whether or not it's just like fashion, right? Whether it's you know, fitting for the situation or not, it's, it's really part of your, you know, your perspective. But the fact that the average girl is so well-versed in makeup now, like, we can talk about primers, we can talk about, we can talk about primers, we can talk about color correctors, we can talk about strobing, contouring. Like, this is crazy. You know, when I first started and I took on a palette, girls were like, what is that? Now, every girl has a palette. <laughs> if you don't have a palette, you cannot do makeup. You need like 42 shades of brown before you can even do a brown eye, you know? And all these products come in and long-lasting, long-wearing, you know, high pigment. I've never seen that before, you know? And, and you don't have to pay a lot for it to get, you know, amazing professional results. And I think it's a golden age of makeup because I think the beauty industry is booming right now. Yeah. And you, you, you mentioned strobing before. I did see you shared a meme a few weeks ago that made me laugh. Obviously, writing about beauty, we go crazy for buzzwords like strobing and draping. You shared something about draping, which was the only thing I want draping on my cheeks is a luxury silk sari imported from India. Namaste. And that just had me in stitches. I love it. Obviously, so for anyone that doesn't know, draping is a way of, of applying blusher, I think. Do you buy into those buzzwords or trends? Do you like them or does it kind of annoy you? Well, draping, I didn't even know what draping was because I, you know, everybody out there is looking at YouTube and saying, you know, who's doing what and what kind of makeup. But, you know, baking, <laughs> draping, I mean, is there a word called exercising? Like, you know, I, I don't know. But when draping came out, and it came with, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the script um, uh, manual when a product comes out and it says, this is a product for draping. And I had to go find out what draping was. And my PR manager at that time explained to me that it was, you know, contouring with blush. And I was like, oh, you mean like Annie Lennox or... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know, contouring with blush. I get it. So this was all done in the 80s, but just rebranded. And, you you know, so I just don't need to Disneyland this whole thing. You know, I just want to call it what it is. And baking is what, when I first started, it was cooking. You know, cook your makeup. So you put a pile of them, you know, powder on your face so that it just penetrates it all at one set, in one, in one go. And the only reason why we need to bake is because there's oils in there and, you know, 17 layers of foundation and all that kind of thing. And it was just slide off like a tiramisu. So in order to just, you know, solidify it, you actually put a lot of powder on it to hold it in. And it's like, oh, that's baking and you need to wait for it to like cook, you know what I mean? So all these terms uh, to me are like generation two kind of terms. And even I had to learn them, but I knew how to do them. I just didn't know that it was rebranded. So I'm like, oh my gosh, give me a break. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm like talking about draping. And the only thing I want to drape is a silk sari or something, you know, because that's draping. You don't drape on your face. I don't understand that, you know, but you know, it is what it is. And you know, sometimes I laugh and it keeps my career, uh, my job, you know, um, interesting, I guess. As I mentioned before, things got a bit too noisy in the cafe, so we went to Nigel's car instead to finish our conversation. All right, popping that back on. Where were we? So we were talking about strobing and baking and caking. Yes. Um, and obviously that leads us into quite nicely about Instagram makeup. Oh, my goodness. I feel yes. like you probably have some thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes I think out loud. <laughs> um, yeah, so what would you like to know? And I'll try to be kind. 
although honest. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously Instagram makeup is kind of a different kind of makeup to the makeup we wear every day, but it seems to have really infiltrated that idea of everyday makeup because people think that to do a full face of makeup, you do need the 17 products or something. And I think, do you think it's impacted beauty in a positive way because people are more passionate, invested and interested in beauty? Or do you look at people who are wearing like, you know, the full face, almost stage makeup outside every day and think, please take some off. <laughs> well, yes and no. And I'm also for it, but also against it at the same time, because, you know, there's two parts of me. I mean, I love makeup in general. I, I love anything from face painting to, you know, how Elle McPherson wears her makeup. So I, I, ha I love the whole extreme of beauty. I'm not just like in the whole gamut of things. I'm not just here. I'm like the whole you know, the whole spectrum of things. However, with Instagram makeup, I mean, I've also learned how to do a cut crease in the modern version and all that kind of thing. And I've also learned how to do a gradient brow if I need to. And there, there are quite some cool and funky techniques on there. You know, how to make your, you, you know, how to counteract really dry foundation, how to make your face dewy, how to strobe your face. I've learned all of that as well. Things that I don't usually do in my job as a makeup artist. And I, I think it's really interesting. You know, it's like a chef learning how to cook another dish from you know, from another chef kind of thing. So it's kind of a, a really nice community and it's also bubbling really well. And, and, and I'm, I'm for it in that way. I'd rather people talk about makeup than not know about makeup at all, you know. And this version of makeup that women should look like is actually quite dramatically heaven. You know, if you ask the private Nigel and <laughs> whether, do I want to look like that? maybe at a party you know like i want to like reshape my lips with like 16 you know lip lighters and you know how to cut crease my eyes and all that yes however as a makeup artist i i now then become like i feel like i become the beauty pharmacist you know or the nutritionist where i say you don't actually need that much you know if you went to have you know walk from you know bondi to bronte you don't need to have a cut crease <laughs> you know for example or 16 layers of stacked eyelashes it is great to know how to do it because when it first started i was like how did they how did oh my gosh like look at that nose you know and now I know how to do it because I've learned something from it so even I as a makeup artist who have done this for 20 years a professional makeup artist have done it for 20 years I've learned something as well but you need to know that it's not every day and it's great if you are a dancer or you know you're, you're, you need your makeup to be on and you know people like Kim Kardashian a lot of people said oh my god Kim Kardashian or all that makeup yes but you don't understand that as a job she has a window to do her makeup in the morning and pretty much no more time to redo her makeup. So, you know, her makeup artist needs to do the makeup and make sure that it has longevity. So that's why she does that because she is on TV. Unless you're on TV, you really don't need that. I mean, why would you need a cut crease for rock climbing? <laughs> you know, the TV screen, the, the lens does not pick up what our eyes pick up. And real skin has textures, has pores, and, and we have to embrace that because there's a whole generation of girls that grew up and go like, oh my gosh, I want to look like the cover of this. No pores. How do I get rid of... People ask me, how do I get rid of my pores? I'm like... I think that's such an important point as well. And speaking of makeup kit... The product that you always repurchase is the Elizabeth Arden 8-Hour Cream. Yes, because it's so versatile. It, it has this amber tinge to it. So I've used it on anything to moisturize the eyebrows, to even um, smooth out flyaways, to gloss up eyelashes, to make them a bit more pointy. You use them on lips. I use them for a gloss over the cheek, even on, eye, on your eyelids as well. And because it's got an amber tone to it, when you put it on, it warms up your skin. And it's amazing. And sometimes when I do swimwear or when girls you know, need to, to get on the runway and stuff like that, I gloss down the front of their legs to make it extra glossy. And and it works. It almost needs like two to three minutes to work before it sort of melts into the skin and then activates. And then suddenly it's like, wow, why did you put on that skin? And a lot of people think I'm a like, amazing makeup artist, but really it's just a product. <laughs> and I always say it's just a product. And I mix it with lip pigments as well to make lip glosses and things. Oh, yeah. Good little trick there. Now, obviously you mentioned with your work comes a crazy busy schedule. You're traveling a lot. Do you enjoy traveling? Do you have any memorable places or, or trips that you've taken? I'm telling you, I'm one of the luckiest kid, you know, in town because, as I said earlier in this podcast, that um, that I've ticked all the boxes, you know, part one or two, but that's not important. I mean, I had a hundred ticks and I ticked, you know, pretty much all of them. Yes, because I never had to pay for any of them, <laughs> and, and I've traveled to places I 
you know, I toured with celebrities. I've been to pretty much all the best places in Australia for photo shoots, for if you're going to Adelaide, you just don't go to Adelaide. You go to like the Amazing Rocks, so or you go to Kangaroo Island, you know, and then you take a photo shoot there. And while the models do their job, like you sometimes you have a minute or two just to like raise your head and look and go like, oh my God, like I'm actually on vacation as well. Also, like recently with Benefit earlier this year, you know, I've always been traveling to Western countries. I've never been to Taiwan. I've never been to Seoul. I've, you know, in, in Hong Kong, I've only been once. And Shanghai, I've never been. So in one fell swoop, like I have manifested, I went, I, I toured Asia and, you know, I was treated really well. You know, the, the, the guys that benefit, they adore me and I adore them even more and each country has their own teams and I love them and, you know, they love, they know that I know, love food and they take me out to eat food and let's say my best friends from there on. Places like Seoul, I never thought I would have loved. I don't understand the language, but I was brought there to this place called Myeongdong and it's like a whole street of makeup. Every single store Heaven. is skincare, makeup, and stuff like that. And even the cheapest, the, the most, you know, low of the range kind of drugstore products have like the best, the, the best ingredients in them from hyaluronic acid to, you don't need to pay a lot of money to get very good results in, in Korea. And there and then I realized that the world has nothing on Korea at this moment. Like they are, Korea is what it is to beauty as is Paris is to fragrance. Yeah. Like they are truly the leaders. And I bought so much, like, I've learned so much, you know, 20 years in this industry, I thought, yeah, I probably know everything or what's in, you know, that's my job. When I went to Korea with my friend Elena, and she was like taking me around and I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. If, you know, if you have a chance, you should go to Myeongdong. Yeah. It's like, imagine like the whole of Chapel Street, but every shop is beauty products. That sounds amazing. And I know you are a sheet mask fan, aren't you? Oh my God. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I've got so, so many. No, 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 no. I, I, I get it free anyway. Five minutes later, and I bought myself 120 uh, sheets. Oh, gosh. You're set. Cool. And I was like, well. I can't actually walk down the street anymore. I've got to go back and unload in the hotel and then come out again. <laughs> it was so heavy. I can see the difference. Like, there and then, it was an instant reaction uh, for me, an improvement. When, you know, I would do, like, really amazing shows like Tony Matuszewski and all that. And, you know, Tony would come to me uh, and said, I don't actually want the girls to wear a lot of makeup or, if possible, no makeup at all. And I go, great. So, as a makeup artist, where do you turn to next? Because the girls need to look expensive on the, on the runway. So, I thought, skincare was next thing so i you know i went out and i purchased you know i think 60 uh, sheet masks one for each girl and when you put it on you have people like the hair director running up to me and grabbing my arm goes what was that that you put i'm like what was what you know trying to like pretend i didn't know anything it's just like <laughs> the faces are like plump and glowing i said come on they're like 68 i said no 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 like their faces are glowing and i looked at it yeah and because the skin is so good you don't really need makeup and I still have that in my bag these days for celebrities who are really exhausted and tired and all that. And and I have it for myself. I actually put on one this morning. You are glowing. Oh Radiant, gosh. one might like say. Like a bowl of butter. <laughs> <laughs> the next product on your list is a perfume with a special memory. There are actually a few perfumes with special <laughs> memories on your list. But I'm going to ask Look. you about one to start. Or, or you can tell me the, the most special one. But CK1. I know. <laughs> CK1, I was... I don't know, 13 years old? No, wait, maybe I was 14. I don't know, something like that. And I was going through adolescence, and I was so angry with my mom that day, and I decided to, like, I don't know, run away or something like that. So I ran to my best friend's house, Dion, who's literally the next flat, like the next block down, and I said, I'm just so angry with mom. And he just, like, okay, because he, he was great with his mom when he was young. And he was like, but look at what Kate Moss launched yesterday. And I was like what and finally like suddenly i just didn't care about anything else <laughs> and he goes like you actually had to pour this on your body because it's like a unisex perfume i'm like oh a unisex perfume and every time i smell it it just brings me back to that innocence of that time yeah and I, i'm actually thinking maybe i should buy one more bottle and i think that's interesting that you mentioned unisex perfume because i think we are or i wonder if we are seeing more of a movement particularly with makeup to be genderless because you know You've got a lot more men wearing makeup. You think of some of the big like American YouTubers and a lot of them are men. Do you think we will see more of that about makeup becoming less gendered in terms of mainstream marketing and things oh, like that? I just hope that men don't have to wear that much makeup because I can't be bothered. <laughs> I mean, 
brush my teeth, shave my face, put on the sunscreen, and I'm good to go. Like, if I had to walk down and, you know, another fellow goes like, you did not grade in your eyebrows today. <laughs> I'm like, God save me. I just want a cappuccino, you know? I'm not against it. I think it's pretty cool. Because, you know, as I said, when I was young, and my mom was like, what is on your face? I said, radiance, mom. And a little bit of me felt a little bit embarrassed that I was crossing the boundaries. But basically, it's just shimmer powder all over my face. But now, you know, kids that are 16, you know, they... They put like strip eyelashes and they contour it, and they're looking like. I just hope that you're doing that and just stay at home. But you know, if you want to go out and all that, go for it. You know, but I I think it's really great. But I think it's a movement like veganism, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's a school of belief. It's a tribe. Yeah. I'm not particularly against it, but it's not for me. I mean, I love to do my eyebrows and maybe a few concealers here and there, but that's it for me. I think skincare is supreme yep. over makeup. You have quite a large following on social media and, and fans on and off. I think you even have a fan page on Instagram, which I, I found yesterday. Oh dear. <laughs> but I have seen you on a couple of your posts. There was one in particular, you posted a picture on National Coming Out Day yeah. And there were a couple of comments. Oh, um, that you, <laughs> oh dear. I don't like the phrase clapped back, but you clapped back at these people yeah. oh. making comments. It was pretty much the first time I've ever did anything like that. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, obviously, when you have the profile that you do, you do have, you are exposed to that. How do you deal with that? Is that something you think about? For 10 years, when I was under a brand like Maybelline, I had to hold my tongue, you know, not because it wasn't true, but because out of respect for the brands and the people that are running the brand. So I had to always swim on the safe side and, and just focus on the positivity. Since departing with, you know, my beloved Maybelline, I mean, it was, you know, it was a, a decision just recently and it was time. I then sat there in my on, on a flight, actually. And I sat there because it was going to New York. I had like 24 hours to think about it. And I was like, who am I? And I just realized there and then that, who am I? Like, what do I stand for? I mean, for the last decade, when I was 30 to 40, like I was flying this flag for this global brand. You know, I was the face and the ambassador and the big brother of it all and all that. But now that I've stepped down from it, who am I? You know, it, and I realized that I've let... My career defined the person that I am. And I'm nothing without... I thought for a moment, am I nothing without this the title? So then, then I decided to stand for something and be raw and honest about it. And, you know, if you show me bitchiness, girl, I, I would harness my anus dra in a drag queen. <laughs> I've watched enough episodes of RuPaul's Drag Race to snap right back at you. You have... You can't even say eyelash, yep. you know, and this guy, because I, I said something about, you know, if God hate, hated gays, then why are we so cute? You know, it was like a pun. I wasn't saying that I was cute. I would just say that, you know, it was quite funny, right? And I put a really ridiculously cute picture of myself with a live stream cone and all that kind of thing. And I thought, oh my God, this is hysterical, you know, I, you know, and he wrote back in, I think, Bahasa or something, if I can't remember. And he said something like, oh, that's cute or something like that, you know, and he said like, he should look at himself and I went to check out his Instagram and it was a blocked uh, profile I usually don't care about things like that and then he sort of wrote back to me and said yeah but you're fat that was what got to me that was it was it wasn't even about saying that I wasn't cute it was saying that yeah but you're fat and I was like whoa that wasn't this is not even about size. It's about freedom of sexuality and all that kind of thing, you know. And he told... So I put him in his place and I told him to go, you know, do whatever that I told him to go do. It's... For the first time, I was like, whoa, I had a voice, you know, and it was raw and it was not like an Asian smiling housewife. They go, thank you for coming. Like, I actually, you know, blew fire. And he didn't reply after that. And I didn't want to block him. And I said, you have to learn some manners because it's hard to be, you know, in the LGBT community already the last thing we need is for us to feed on each other and how dare you tell me that I am less than you because I don't have a six pack app and all that kind of thing You're like how dare you tell me that I'm Absolutely. not good looking enough I don't care if I'm up to your standard but don't you ever make me feel or anyone else because I felt like he could have done it to you know a 12 year old kid or something like that you know and I, I refuse to stand for that it was just bullying in that sense like you make me feel like nothing it didn't do anything to me but I'm like shame on you to, to even have the audacity to tell me that I'm fat, therefore I can't say that I'm cute. You know, who the hell do you think you are? So, it was a bit passionate. <laughs> I mean, we're going to take, take everything back to the land of marshmallows and lollies, but for the first time, like, I was quite fierce, and I thought, do I respond? I was like, nah, I'm just, fuck, I'm going to respond. Like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And, yeah. But, um, you know... <laughs> 
And I felt great about it because yeah. I know what I stand for and I've learned a little bit about myself and what I can tolerate in life outside of the now defunct Mr. Maybelline. Because before that, it was lipsticks and mascaras, but now I, ha I want to have a purpose. And I do want to get onto what is next for you in your next chapter, but we do have your final products. We've reached the eighth product. <gasps> which is your greatest discovery, which is the Peter Thomas Roth Cucumber Eye Mask. So we <laughs> yes. are back to skincare again, aren't we? So I've been it's, talking about skincare the whole time. It is something that you really are passionate about. So why do you like these eye masks? Um, because they work. And, you know, someone like me who travels, you know, across oceans and stuff, and I land up in Fashion Week, and I look at myself and I'm like, my goodness, you, you really need to depuff your eyes or something. Do something and look a bit more reasonable you know people are going to look at this face you know today and the, the people at peter thomas roth they sent it to me and i was like oh, this is cute and i just put it on my face and it was like 10 minutes i took it off and my goodness i was floored i was like <laughs> i i never i never expected it to work that that well and and now i have it in my bag and I bought another jar and I gave it to my best friend in New York and he used it and he was like, what is this? And he loved it and, and, and now it's kind of like my go-to thing. You know, if I feel a bit sick or anything like that, I just put it under my eyes and eyes tell you a lot and I don't like to wear makeup as, you know, as much as, you know, I tell people. So skincare again, you know, sort of pump, plumps it out and just make me look fresh and interested. That's what you want in a product, isn't it? Yes. I wondered whether... Obviously, you have been exposed to kind of the forefront of makeup creation. You've got your kit. You, you're drowning in makeup products, basically. Are there any types of products, and so not necessarily specific brands, but types of products, whether that be primer or setting spray or whatever, that you think are overrated, but just not necessary? You see, I, I don't really know how to answer this question because, to be fair, I mean, I, I would want to be like that character again, you know, that I just lash back at this poor user. But I would say that, you know, different chefs use different techniques. Just because I don't use duck fat to cook my fries doesn't mean it's wrong for you, you know what I mean? Or if you use bacon, as you know, the fat, and I use avocado oil and all that it's not really a right and wrong thing i think there's a lot of products out there in the market it's a lot of products versus quality products you know it's my job to go out and look amongst all the noise to get the best of everything and you know there's like long wear primer foundation like you know from cryolin or you know versus Embryolise, which is a more uh, lanolin-based kind of stuff. Like, I still have both of them. I'm talking to my best, one of my best, fr new best friends in New York, Michael Chua. And we're talking about, like, we're such nerds. You know, we're both Asians and we're so nerdy. We're like, what's in your bag right now? What what do you have for your skincare? And like, what's the one moisturizer you take to the moon? And, you know, mine was Embryolise. He's like, I'm over that. And he wants to use something else. And and we're talking about that. But it's not right or wrong. It's, it's what suits you, you know. No, I think that's a good attitude to have. And yeah. it would be, I think, remiss of me to say, because you have, in terms of your analogies and explaining things, a lot of things have come back to food and good food. So that's obviously a passion for you outside of makeup. Mm -hmm. And I guess particularly with all your travel, mm -hmm. that gives you the chance to experience those kind of things. Oh, food? Yes. If I reckon if I wasn't a makeup artist, I'd probably end up being a food writer or a chef. I think sh being a chef is really, really stressful, but... You know, I want to be well-versed in food. I want to know where the olive oil came from. You know, the balsamic vinegar in Italy and, you know, where this, you know, the butter. How do we make butter? Like, two days ago, I found myself on Amazon trying to look for butter moles. <laughs> what is going on? You know, like, I'm so interested. My sister's like, why don't you just be, a, you know, a food critic or something? But and one of my fantasies... You know, if I didn't have, I don't know how to do this right now and right now, but I, how do I marry food with makeup? I just don't know how to do it. But if I could, it would be amazing. You know, every time when I feel bad about myself, you know, I find like a chicken drumstick on the table and a bowl of rice that my grandmother would make for me. Because you had a bad day, have a drumstick. <laughs> you know, was, you know, I, I guess in England you just have a cup of tea or something yeah. like that. But I had a drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we, we were saying we're kind of the same for, for me. As I think for you, food is how we show our love for people yes. with feeders. So I think, yeah, I feel the same. I'm so passionate about food and, and it being something more than just the thing you... You know, there are people who live to eat and people who eat to live. I eat to live. No, I live to eat. Yes, I'm still eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think food is something that everybody understands. Like music, you know, it brings people together. You don't need to be from that country. Like if you, if you hear a rhythm, you know, you... you, you it cheers you up, you know, it's an energy source. And, and food is an energy source as well in, in its own way. And, you know, when people come and visit me in my home, and even when I was a kid, 
um, I mean, student, I didn't have much, but I always made sure that I had something to offer, whether it's, you know, a butter cake or <laughs> something to put on the table, because it's it's kind of my love to you. And when I first moved to Australia, I didn't understand that when <laughs> you, you go to someone's house, you bring a slab of beer. I'm like, I'd rather bring a roast chicken <laughs> or a shepherd's pie that I made, you know, or a shepherd's pie that someone else made. Yeah. But wouldn't it be so much better? Uh, yeah, I'd rather have the shepherd's pie. <laughs> than, than the slab of beer. Like, what's that about? <laughs> You've been painting faces for 20 years. Mm-hmm. What is the biggest, not necessarily lesson you've learned, but I mean, from doing the makeup of ordinary in bunny ears, ordinary people to the biggest celebrities, is there something that connects us all with what we want when we put on makeup? We put it on for different purposes. Like celebrities, they're working. So they need to maintain a certain kind of standard of glamour. So when they go on a, a talk show or they, they do a live appearance, they have to look like they were in the last mov- music video or the last movie, and they have to sort of be up to that standard of effort. So they might not necessarily like it, but, you know, it's it's a job. When I do for real people, like whether it's a charity job or someone's mother or a wedding, it is such a different experience. And until today, people are still quite shocked that I take you know, personal bookings because I turn up to their house and they go, would you like a cup of tea? And that tea is made with love, you know, and they ask me, did you find your parking? Okay. And like things like that, like, you know, real people, you know, and when I do for them, yes, they might not look like Naomi Campbell or, you know, Gigi Hadid and all that, but they have a face. And I promise myself that me as a makeup artist, although superficial, I will not discriminate. My makeup brushes will touch any face that's willing to be made up. And the priority is not to transform the outside, but on the inside. Because at the end of my journey with them, I want them to look in the mirror and go, I can, I can survive today. And I, I, I feel like the woman I think I am in my head. And you know, like when, when people text me the next day, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I went to the party and everybody said I look so beautiful and things like that. Thank you so much. That was what makes me giggle because I feel like I made a little bit of difference and even though it's not the cover of Vogue anymore it's still a human being and that to me is really um, valuable of what I've learned because in the in the past we have always wanted to do a Vogue cover and this and you know I set goals for myself but goals to me is false expectations because I would tell myself when I become the makeup director of so and so I will be happy well I've done all of that I don't feel any different when I've done a celebrity and when I've done Bella Hadid and all that, well, I've done her. And and it was great for about 10 minutes and people pat me on the back like, oh my God, that was amazing. And then the show was over and then it was the next day. So I I find that setting goals for myself, is it's nice, but I want my life to be a journey now rather than a destination. For the first 20 years of my life, it was always a destination. I need to do New York Fashion Week. I need to do L'Officiel. I need to do Coco Rocha. I need to do, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. Now it's kind of like you take a breath and you see what's around you. I mean, on Instagram, it always looks glamorous, right? Like, oh my God, look at me. I'm traveling. I'm eating this croissant and blah, 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 <laughs> you know. But now I, I want to shift all of that and I want to have some meaning for this, for my heart, to help people, you know, I want to help young girls out there to tell them that they are enough. They don't have to dress with, you know, two inches of fabric so that boys will like them. Uh, you know, that they, they don't have to have giraffe-looking legs to walk down the runways for them to feel attractive. I, I am so against that. I really am against that. And you don't have to wear a ton of makeup so that they, they could be accepted by their friends to take selfies. Like, scrap all of that. I, I, I want to detox all of that. And even though I'm a makeup artist, like, I just, like, no. Like, hit every girl in the heart and tell them you're enough, you're loved. And those people don't want to take photos with you because nobody wanted to take photos with me too. But I survived and I'm still standing here, you know, and I'm a little bit older now, not old, (laughs) older now. And and I can see from the other side. And if I could tell myself when I was younger, like if I looked at myself, I said, if I visited myself, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, I would just say, don't worry about it. You'll still take all your boxes and you'll still... You know, I, I feel like I'm in the top 1% of the world. You know, I have clean water. I've got clothes. I I've, I can eat all the food of the world. I've got, you know, I can call my mother 15 times a day to annoy her. I mean, what else is there to complain about? You know, and I used to think, like five years ago, oh, so-and-so copied me. And so-and-so, you know, I, I said this. And, you know, I'm always, I was always in the time space. But now I think about, when I think back, I'm thinking, people copy you because you're ahead of them. And because they liked it. So now I have to 
adjust my vibe, my energy level, and, and vibrate really high, and said, "Thank you for copying me because I'm just, I'm really excited that you liked it. You know, it's 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 a compliment, you know, it's flattery. So I wouldn't I wouldn't even care about you know so and so did this and so and so did that. You know, it's a very unhealthy, especially in in my industry." And, you know, with the tool of Instagram where you can look at everybody else and, and, oh, my gosh, that person is in Bali right now and I'm stuck in the toilet. You you know what I mean? Like, don't. Like, like, I used to want to be everybody else but me. But suddenly, I don't know what happened, but suddenly I just want to be me because everybody else is doing their thing and nobody else is like me. Talk about glamour. Yeah. A truck is just driven by us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know when I had to stop. Um, you know when when I, when I left Maybelline, I'm like, who am I? Am I still glamorous? Am I still Mr. Maybelline? Am I? You know, do people still want to? Uh, do people? Will you love me? You know, like all of that question sort of, you know, sort of you know, arise and 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 I thought, no, I do not want to let my career dictate who I am. I am, I am not my job. Such brilliant advice and a beautiful mission there. Oh my gosh, I, I'm on a mission. Yeah, must be, must be the tea. What is <laughs> and 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 that's kind of the final question. What is next for you? What do you want to do now? You are Nigel, your own person. Career wise or personal wise, like personal. Either. Well, we'll start with career. I would love, and you know, people might listen to this. Oh my god, Nigel, here we go again. You are talking about the rights of people, and then here you go again. I would love a TV show. I think you'd be great on TV. I, I, I don't want to be... I mean... Oh. I mean, Netflix, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, like, I would I would want a TV show and I want something like Stan on Netflix because I want to go straight into people's handsets and, and, and homes to, to, to set up my message. And I want to create a show that people can understand. I don't want to set the bar too high. I want to be the people's makeup artist. You know, like Lady Die. <laughs> Like, I want to be like that. I, I don't want to be like, oh, my God, look at my silk sari. You know, like, like come and do you want to wear my silk sari? You know, maybe I, I do have a silk sari, but let's go out. You know, like, you're, have a go at it. I, I do want to have that. And I, I don't, you know, and, and I want to use, I feel like I'm ready now to, to, to go into the world and, and, and send a message out there and tell them that, well, that, you know, the young kids out there, kids, you know, like teenagers and stuff, the, the young, that it's not about glamour because I've been there. It's not about glamour, it's about your self-worth. You put your self-worth before all this glamour, before all these invites, before all these parties. And only when you have self-worth, then you can go and, and enjoy that. Because it's it's um, empty. When you get there, it's empty, you know. It's a room filled with people, but it's, it's empty, soul-wise. Because nobody knows what the hell they're doing there. And I want to use that. But what's next for me is, um, I think I can say this, I've done a, a an online course the first of my life. Everyone's asking me to do a masterclass. And for once, I thought, let's just do an online course. So I'm doing a plug with Rescue Academy. Amazing. And it's it's for the everyday girl. I don't want to teach you about editorial makeup. I mean, what is editorial makeup, you know? I just want to teach you that if you're having a bad day and you're looking at six bottles of foundation, where the hell do you start? And what do you do? And do you use your first finger or do you use your palm or do you use a brush? And and that's what all that course is about. So it's been editing right now uh, with Baha at Rescue Academy. And, and it's going to be on sale soon, I think. Oh, I'll pop a link to where you can sign up to find out information. If not yeah, the actual, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it myself, but I jumped at that, that invite to do it because I was like, what's the best way to do it? And it's not glamorous. It's just how to get your face on so that you can actually walk out the door, whether you've just had a baby or a, a promotion or you broke up with your boyfriend. Like, how do you put a face on? How do you how do you have that life skill to put it on and get out the door? So that's that's what's coming up. It sounds like whichever path and whatever you do, you are passionate about helping and benefiting others. And I'm so excited to see where that takes you. Yeah. Um, we've reached the final question now, which is of the eight products that we've spoken about today that are on your Beauty Island list, if you could only take one to keep you company on Beauty Island, which one would it be? <laughs> I can see you stressing out. This is really stressful. I mean, this is the reason why it took so long to reply because I don't know the answer. I'll bring a sunscreen. Did I say a sunscreen? So I'm going to give you sunscreen so you don't have to worry okay, about practicality. But of PA++++. Your... <laughs> but of your list of the products that are special to you that have memories and meaning, which which one are you going to take? <laughs> on the beauty on, on, on beauty island, I'll probably bring fragrance. Because yeah. I don't have a mirror to look at myself, so who cares? At least I can smell it. I mean, it'd be great to walk around an island and smell like CK1. 
Perfect. <laughs> Wouldn't it be? It like, would. I mean, you can't see your face. That's no mirror. That is an excellent point. Who that cares I heard if, if, if if the if you know if the sharks or the turtles look at you and be like, <laughs> "My God, that unibrow! Let's sort that out." I mean, at least I can smell myself. And go, oh my God, it's like youth. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, thank you so much. It's Aww. been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you Aww. so much. Thank you so much for having me as well. This is my first ever podcast interview. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. Whether you were out for a walk or run, at the gym, curled up on the sofa, listening at work, or this is just on in the background while you get stuff done, I really hope you enjoyed it. Nigel is so fab. If you enjoy listening to Beauty Island, subscribe if you haven't, and give it a five-star rating and maybe even a cheeky original review. That really helps other people find the podcast. Even better, recommend to your best friend, your mum, your work wife, or if a stranger sat next to you right now. You can find all the past episodes of Beauty Island on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's completely free to listen and subscribe. If you like this one, might I recommend my chat with Chev Kelly, the global makeup artist for Napoleon Purdis. Just scroll through and you'll see her name. Until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast. And all the details of where you can find Nigel and the products we spoke about are in the show notes of this episode. Thank you, and until next time, bye-bye.